chapter 23. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're going to get it today. <clears throat> Not from me, though. These are the words of Christ. And um, I, I, I don't know that I've ever preached on this passage, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a poignant passage. Let me put it that way. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? These are the words of Christ again. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut down the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. <laughs> Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us to understand these words and the heart of Christ. We thank you for them in Christ, and we pray, amen. All right, you can be seated. Last week, excuse me, that's not true. Two weeks ago, last week we had a, a speaker from the Gideons. Two weeks ago, I shared with you about gentleness. Do you remember that? Got a lot of comments about gentleness. And, and I want you to know that 90% of the time, Jesus was gentle. In fact, I shared with you that Jesus, by his very character and his reputation, was someone who was considered very gentle, and he himself made that claim about himself, that he was gentle, he was a gentle person. His voice was gentle. I think about him in contrast to some TV preachers and some preachers of the day that are not gentle. And as your pastor, I hope that you don't think of me as a, an abrasive kind of person that's in your face. Some denominations and some preachers are famous for that. They're known for not being gentle, but being abrasive all the time. Christ was not that way. 90% of the time, and I'm throwing out that number just because it's my own number. Maybe you can say 95% of the time. But most of the time, Jesus was very gentle. He was remarkably gentle in times where nobody else would have been gentle. Just putting up with his 12 disciples in and of itself would make you want to lose your mind. The things that they had said so often, you know, they got into skirmishes and disagreements with themselves, not just with other people, but with themselves, having trouble getting along. And then in the middle of the mix were people like Judas and yet Jesus was so gentle. So last week's sermon was entitled, The Power of Gentleness. And I shared with you how your words and your actions in the midst of being gentle can still be very powerful. There is powerful. There is power in gentleness. 
So today's message is entitled, The Exception to Gentleness. The Exception to Gentleness. I don't know why the Lord led me to do this. Maybe I, I, I hope he did, but I thought it would be interesting to see where someone who was famous for being gentle, if we were to look at the passages in the times where he was not gentle. And to see the substance to gentleness. Now, before you get too excited, <clears throat> start reaching for your nine millimeter. <laughs> you and I still have an obligation to be gentle people. Do we not? <clears throat> God expects us for his, his people, called by his name, to be gentle people. And so this is not going to be an excuse for you to be angry or hateful or bitter toward other people. There is no opportunity for that in the Bible. We should be gentle. Jesus, as I say, gentle 90% of the time, not gentle 10% of the time. And sometimes we get that confused, though, in our own life. And it might be reversed for you that you are gentle 10% of the time. You're not gentle the other 90%. And so we need to work on that 90-10 formula there. For me, it is a challenge as well. For example, let's say you don't supervise your staff and uh, they as grown men decide to put on a dinosaur outfit and get on their knees and make those announcements like that and make the, the, the audio equivalent of a, of a sound that is like fingernails on a chalkboard. I should say that gently. <laughs> they crack me up every week. And by the way, I, I, you don't know this, but they try to lure me into their escapades on these announcements every single week. Um, but I refuse to do so. They, they tried, I won't say who, tried to get me in an inflated, uh, inflatable dinosaur outfit this morning while I preached the sermon. <laughs> Which is why I'm the pastor and they are not. It was the baseball coach, Billy Martin, who told about a hunting trip he had in Texas with baseball legend Mickey Mantle. Mickey had a friend who would let them hunt on his ranch, and so he liked to go there and hunt. So when they reached the ranch, Mickey and Billy, uh, uh, Mickey both told his friend Billy to wait in the car while he checked in with his friend that owned the ranch. Mantle's friend quickly gave him permission to hunt there, of course, but he did ask Mickey Mantle for a favor. He had an old mule in his barn that was going blind, and he just didn't have the heart to put it out of its mis 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 misery. misery. Thank you. And so he asked Mickey Mantle, on your way to go hunting, would you go into the barn and put the mule out of his misery? He asked him to shoot the mule. So Mickey decided to, and he agreed, but Mickey decided to go ahead and play a little trick on his coach, Billy Martin. When he came back to the car, he pretended to be angry. He scowled and he slammed the door. Billy asked him what was wrong, and Mickey Mantle said that his friend wouldn't let them hunt. He said, I'm so mad at that guy, I'm going to go out to the barn and shoot one of his mules. So Mantle drove like a maniac to the barn. Martin protested, we can't do that. But Mickey was adamant, just watch me, he said. And then when they got to the barn, Mickey Mantle jumped out of the car with his rifle, ran inside and shot the mule. 
As he was leaving, though, he heard two more shots. And he ran back to the car and he said that Martin had taken out his rifle too. What are you doing, Martin? He yelled. Martin yelled back, face red with anger himself. We'll show that son of a gun. I just killed two of his cows. <laughs> so not being a gentle, I've learned this, can be contagious. It is extraordinary what a brash word will do to an entire crowd. Is that not right? So what are some examples in the Bible? So Jesus had to be careful. He could at any moment rile up his disciples to where they would have pulled out swords and weapons and started swinging. Is that not true? He, he had to be very careful because they were all powder kegs waiting to explode. But what are some examples in Scripture where Jesus made an exception to the rule and he stopped being gentle? in his tone, in his voice. So first we have to look at the passage today. And the first time we see is that Jesus called out hypocrisy and corruption. He called out hypocrisy and corruption. There was a time for him to not be gentle. He was a suffering servant and died for our sins meekly on the cross. But he also was God incarnate. And there were times where his deity came out forcefully. So back to our passage for today, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to look at verse uh, 13 through 15, just that part. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who uh, enter who are trying to. When he says, Woe to you, he is making a pretty bold statement. He's confronting them directly. Without hesitation and boldly in his voice, no question, no question about it. We don't have an audio recording of him saying this, but I assure you his voice was probably quite bold. And he is very frustrated with them. Jesus came here in his primary problem or area of resistance didn't come from the Roman government. The Romans didn't really care most of the time about him. It wasn't until the very end that he even met the leaders like Pilate. They'd heard about him, but they'd never met him. It was the religious leaders of the day, the preachers and the scholars and the teachers of the day that gave him the most grief. Those people who knew scripture and knew prophecy, the people, the very people who should have been the first to recognize him as the Messiah, the very first to embrace him, and yet they hated him and wanted to kill him. And so he's making these famous woes to them. In verse 15, wow. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Again, a very bold statement. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Well, that's about as bold as it gets. And he is confronting them. What he's, he's calling the blind guides, literally, he says that. And he's accusing them here of taking people and making them worse instead of better. Making them worse people than, instead of better people. Making them hateful people instead of loving people. Bringing them further from God instead of closer to God. They actually made people worse. And woe to us 
to you and me as a church, if we ever do that, we make somebody worse instead of better. We push them away from God instead of drawing them to God. In the 2004 Olympics, there was an Olympian named Matt Emmons who was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. And so he was a really good shot. And he was one shot away, true story, he was one shot away from winning a gold medal. In fact, he was so far ahead, all he had to do was hit the target. <laughs> if he hit anywhere on the target, he was going to win the gold medal. But instead of winning gold, he got eighth place. Now here's the kicker. If you know anything about history or Olympics, he actually did hit the target just as he aimed at it because he was a great shot. The problem was he was in lane two and he, he got confused and he aimed at the target in lane three and shot that target as, instead. He shot the, wrong, shot the wrong target and so he lost. And we don't like the Pharisees, but we need to understand that they thought they were following God when they resisted Jesus, when they hated Jesus. They thought they were doing what was right. The problem uh, for them was that they were following after the wrong things. They were protecting their own power and their own prestige, and they forgot to care about people. And that really got to them the worst, and we'll see that in a minute. In the end, they were doing lots of religious things, but they were aiming at the wrong target. When you and I go to Judgment Day, it's my hope and prayer for you and I, at least as God's people, at least in this church, that we were aiming at the right target. How heartbreaking it is, and I know I've shared this with you before, when so many super religious people go to God on Judgment Day and they find out, all of their efforts were in vain. In the name of God, so many have committed murder and slaughtered people. Religious leaders have had people executed by the tens of thousands in our history in the name of God. What shock they will hear or heard on Judgment Day as God said, you murdered in, in my name and killed people, hated people. Terrible atrocities have been committed. But there are also others of other religions. There are so, so many faithful, faithful Muslims who sacrifice their life for Muhammad. And we'll learn all of that religious zeal came to nothing before God on Judgment Day. And I could go on and on. Those false religions and those false teachings that people follow passionately that are ultimately bankrupt in the eyes of God. Are you aiming at the right target? Of course, there's that famous passage, and I won't read it today to you, but I will summarize. Jesus went to the temple. Actually, this happened twice in the Gospels. And he, as he walked into the temple courts, he saw this scam taking place. And I, again, I know I've shared this with you before, but if you're new, he was going into the temple courts and he saw money changers there that were changing money. It was a money-making racket. But he also saw people selling animals there. 
And when you went to the temple, you went there for a particular purpose. You went into the temple to give your sacrifice, and people would come from all over the country at least once a year. Mary and Joseph, they would go to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifice with them, a lamb, a goat, or um, a dove, if they could not afford a lamb or a goat. And they were to pick the best one that they had, not the worst one that they had, because the ideal was and the expectation was you give God your best, not your worst. And so their best lamb should be a spotless lamb. They would come into the temple courts, and those regulators that were there to look at it, they would inspect the lamb or whatever animal that they had to offer and sacrifice, and they would say, no, there's a problem here. Or they would say, it's too skinny or too scrawny. So this, this animal is not acceptable, but you're in luck, because I know you came a long way and this is all you have. There is uh, some acceptable animals over here. We've already approved them and you can buy one of those if you like, and you can sacrifice one of those. You see what they were doing? They were robbing people. It was a racket in, in the temple courts. So Jesus came in and he saw this happening. And again, this temple that was, they don't realize this, the Pharisees didn't realize this, but the temple was built in his honor as a part of eternal God. And so he goes in his temple courts and he sees these people who are supposed to be leading people toward God, they, they're cheating other people and robbing other people. And so, yeah, he became angry. He said, you turned my house into a den of thieves. And he overturned their tables. He was not gentle on those days. The second thing we see is that Jesus confronted hypocrites he could not tolerate fake religion. And I told you the Pharisees generally thought they were doing the right thing, thought they were doing what was honoring God, but there were times where there was just outright falsehood going along on. They knew they didn't believe it. In the third chapter of Mark, Jesus went into a synagogue. I don't know if you remember this story. Synagogues where they worshiped. You know, they had the temple in Jerusalem, uh, but they needed to worship and they couldn't go to Jerusalem every time they worshiped from all of those towns and cities. And so they had local churches that were called synagogues. And on the Sabbath, of course, the rabbis would come out. And if there happened to be a Pharisee in town or whatever, the religious leaders, they would come out, they would open a scroll and they would start reading from the scroll and they would have worship service. And so Jesus went into one of these synagogues on a Sabbath during worship and there was a man in the synagogue who had a physical, a clear physical disability. Now this particular disability did not make him unclean, so he wasn't outside of town. He was able to go to worship, but he clearly had a physical disability. He had a shriveled hand. And the leaders of the synagogue didn't care. They cared about rules and regulation. They didn't care about people. And that really bothered Jesus. Listen, when you and I don't care about people, don't you know it bothers him? And he knows our hearts. So you know what Jesus did? He healed that guy right in their face. In fact, Mark tells us, the, the gospel writer Mark tells us that Jesus uh, brought the guy right in front of them. I mean, right up to them. So they would all see. <laughs> 
see it. This is the middle of the worship service, and right smack in their face, he heals them instantly on the spot, which is remarkable. And it reminded me, as I was thinking about those times that Jesus was not gentle, I have to think there was a, a, a moment where Jesus is confronting the, the religious leaders, and he doesn't become hateful or mean-spirited, mean but he foregoes his gentleness, and he heals this man boldly in front of them. Now, also remembered in season two of The Chosen, this scene actually was, was in a part of The Chosen. And I never showed it during my series over The Chosen, so watch this scene. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. Shalom. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. May I, may I see? Because they did not meet you with bread and with what? Excuse me, what are you doing? What is your name? Elam. Your friend Elam has a withered hand. Are you a healer? It is not lawful to heal on Sabbath. Which one of you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Who are you to speak to our congregation in such a of way? How much more value is this man than a sheep? Stop this at once. Come here. Come stand here. It's okay. Elam, sit down. We don't know this person. He could be a shaman. Is it lawful on Sabbath? To do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? This affliction does not threaten his life. It does not even affect his health. Let it up. everything. Wait! Come back! How dare you! Now, 
Now, I don't know what verse they were reading, but in, in this theme, they had him reading from the Old Testament, did you? Because he repeats it twice, the passage that says, they're not allowed in the assembly of God because they did not grant you bread or water is out of the Old Testament because they wouldn't help God's people. They wouldn't show compassion on God's people, so they weren't welcome in the assembly. And after reading that, they do exactly the same thing to, to Jesus and to this man who was crippled. Did you hear what they said about the crippled guy? They said, look, his, his deformity is not affecting his life. So, you know, he should have to just live with it. That really was the mindset uh, that Jesus had to encounter over and over again. He confronted hypocrites. He, he couldn't tolerate fake religion. And any religion... Any claim of Christianity, for example, that doesn't care about other people. You don't have to agree with people, but it calls us to care about people. Any, any religion that doesn't care about others is a fake religion. For the last year when I was in seminary, I did the accounting for a hotel in Fort Worth. It was a large hotel, had a restaurant as well, and there were a number of employees there. And to my knowledge or my memory, there was not a single one of them who was a professing Christian except one. And the problem is that one guy was the worst guy there. He was judgmental. He was very dysfunctional. He had a lot of problems and issues. But he thought he was just super righteous and he was condemning and condescending all the time. And nobody could stand him. And I thought, man... You know, I had to deal with that because when I came in, nobody liked me because I was a seminary student. So they just assumed I was just like him. And it's tough. And Jesus entered into the world where the worst people were the religious leaders. And it was a very difficult thing. Lastly, Jesus denounced popularity over people. He denounced popularity over people. This is a big problem with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They were popular and they loved being popular. It's like high school all your life <laughs> where popularity really matters. I was in the sixth grade and I was a late bloomer mentally. There was really no social class in our class until about sixth grade junior high. And that's when the pecking order really developed. You know, some kids, the athletes, signed up for football, and uh, some were cheerleaders, and uh, others did this, and others did that, and then there were kids who didn't do anything, and, and that social class developed, and I was in a particular place in that social class. I was an introvert, and so everybody had their, there was a pecking order that developed, and there was a pecking order in the day of Jesus as well. And he really didn't like that. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, thought that they were on the top of the pecking order. That they were better than some other people. If you look with me in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Another famous passage. There was a whole episode of The Chosen, I believe in season one, where he spent it with children. And I'm not going to show that episode to you, but... Um, but this is the incident where the children were trying to get to Jesus. And I'll go ahead and tell you what happened before we read it. The parents were bringing their kids to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to bless the children. And I want blessings for my children. I want them to be blessed. What kind of parent doesn't want their child blessed? 
And if you have a chance to bring them to Jesus directly and have him touch them, put his hand on their head and, and bless, pronounce a blessing over them, I assure you those children were blessed. Jesus wasn't just going through the motions. If you get blessed by Jesus, you're blessed. And it's a wonderful thing to be blessed. And so they were bringing their kids and they, they, they encountered resistance though, but it wasn't from the Pharisees. It was from somebody else. Ah, look with me in chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, Jesus did what he always did. He used that problem as an opportunity to share solid doctrine. That there needs to be a childlike nature to our faith. Not childish, but childlike. That is simple faith. My children, when they were young, they simply believed when we told them that Jesus loves them, they simply believed that Jesus loves them. When we told them that he is the Son of God, they simply believed he's the Son of God. When we told them that he died for their sins and rose in the third day, they simply without question believed that. Now they grow up into a world where everybody tells them that's just stupid and, and it didn't happen and blah, 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 blah. And the Bible is a big lie and it's not politically correct and they don't like it and it's a hate book or a hate speech and all these kind of lies. But then when they were young, they simply believed in faith. And Jesus says to his disciples, you could learn a lot from these kids, guys. Because they have a simple, beautiful faith and he resisted them he lost his gentleness for a moment it says he was here's the word indignant and it doesn't mean he became hateful to the disciples he didn't yell at them or cuss them out he didn't scold them uh, in in a way that was condescending and demeaning he could have done that but he was indignant the word indignant means to be afflicted or to have indignation. He was not happy with his disciples, which again, he gets the patience award for all of history for putting up with those guys for three years and all their difficulties. And we're no different than them. You see, children were considered less important in the eyes of society. Hard for you and I to believe, except that for the pre-born, that's exactly what we'd have in our culture. And I am pro-life, by the way, because I believe that God loves those children. Whether in the womb or out of the room, he, he, he loves. He didn't start loving you on the day of your birth. He started loving you on the day of your conception. He's always loved you. And, but, but in our society, we, we do that. And in their society, children were less important than adults. And in the minds of the, of the disciples, and Jesus were saying, said to them, no, no, let them come to me. They were important to him. Let me ask you, what gets to you? What ends your gentleness? Is it for the right reasons? Is it 
when others put popularity over people or when you see false or fake religion or is it for other reasons? I looked at and did a little research on the most common reasons people forfeit their gentleness. And you can do online research as well. And you can look at a number, a number of articles. So I kind of compiled them together. Reasons that people become less gentle. You and I. Now, it may be that there are reasons that make you angry. But it's not just anger that I'm talking about. Jesus, it doesn't say that Jesus was angry here. It says he was indignant where the gentleness went out of his voice. And let me tell you, the gentleness goes out of your pastor's voice from time to time. <laughs> what causes that gentleness to leave our voice? Is it the right reasons or the wrong reasons? What gets to you? I have a new house and I have a new well with my new house. I love the well because it makes water and I found that water is very handy. <clears throat> I like it. And when the well doesn't work and it stopped working this week, it's not so handy. <clears throat> my grass, my expensive grass that we got as a package, part of the package deal, is starting to die because it's not getting any water. I ain't got a drop of water in a week. So I called my builder and called the well company, and their basic response was, well, it's a drought. <laughs> Too bad. So I said to them, <clears throat> in a loving, Jesus-like voice, so I'm just supposed to let my grass die? $8,000 worth of grass? And it is so hard when you're dealing with problems in life to be gentle, is it not? Now, honestly, uh, to be fair to the well company, um, they are not uh, being phony. It's not because of hypocrisy on their part. It's not because of popularity that my gentleness goes out the door. It's because I'm not getting what I want. I want water. I want them to come out there and fix it. Which, by the way, they're coming out tomorrow. What are the most common reasons for people to forfeit their gentleness? Well, here's a list. Root, and by the way, there might be one or two of these that really resonate with you. Now, don't turn to your spouse when I say that word <laughs> or jab them. They already know, trust me. Tell them later, but tell them gently, okay? Rudeness. Ugh. Injustice. By the way, injustice is always something that will get us, no matter who you are, injustice is something that somebody else does. Not anything that you do, something somebody else does. And we always see justice in that way. Being bullied or mocked or feeling violated or betrayed or stress or disappointments. Sometimes people lose their gentleness every time they get disappointed in anything. The tone of your voice changes. Failure or family issues or financial issues, feeling coerced, feeling unsafe, being tired or hungry. You know that word hangry? You, you haven't had anything to eat and you're just in a bad mood. Um, or if you get tired, and it's true, we get tired and we get grumpy, some more than others, but it causes us to lose our gentleness. Or pain, being in pain, or being humiliated or embarrassed, or grief when we're going through the loss of a loved one. Anger is a part of the stage of loss. And uh, so we experience that. Being interrupted when trying to achieve a goal. Is that not true, men? 
we, we are one-minded. We, we have this goal. We got to get this thing done. And so-and-so comes and wants to talk to me at that exact moment. I almost got the car running. Amen. Or lack of sleep will make you angry or, or less gentle or feeling helpless or hopeless or powerless or being fearful. All of these things can end your gentleness. But I want you to think this week, is my lack of gentleness justified biblically? Because there are times, 10%, I'm guessing, of the time Jesus was not gentle, and rightly so. Is your gentleness or lack of it acceptable to God? Is it for the right reasons? One day in the jungle, a lion was uh, roaring around. He had a big ego, and he went around and asked the other animals who was the king of the jungle. Who's the king of the jungle? The lion roared at a monkey. You are, Mr. Lion, said the monkey with fear in his voice. The lion went around and found a zebra. Who's the king of the jungle? He snarled. There's no doubt about it, Mr. Zebra said. It's you, Mr. Lion. You're the king of the jungle. Seeing a turtle crossing his path, the lion bellowed, Who's the king of the jungle? Scared out of his little shell, the turtle said, You are, Mr. Lion. Then the lion came upon an elephant. Once again, he roared out the question, Who's the king of the jungle? At that, the elephant took his trunk and grabbed the tail of the lion. He picked the lion up off the ground and slung him around several times, threw him in the mud and slung him against a tree. Stunned and dazed, the lion stood up, uh, <laughs> all covered in mud. And he said to the elephant, just because you don't know the correct answer was no reason to get upset. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you pray for me because they're going to come out and look at my will tomorrow. Uh, my goal is to have water. But I think God would tell me my goal should be to be gentle and to be kind to them and have water if I can. <laughs> and God doesn't not say, does not say that we should just lay down and do nothing. You know, our favorite verse in the Bible, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I think the reality is we remember that verse is be shrewd as snakes and other stuff. <laughs> we forget the last part. Be innocent as doves. This week, let your gentleness be known to all so that when you're not gentle, it is impactful. Don't you know for Jesus, his disciples stood there and go, whoa, as he said what he said and did what he did because it was unusual for him. When you become less gentle, is it unusual? Do people pay attention or does your family go, oh, there they go again? <laughs> let your gentleness be evident to all. Pray with me. Father, we ask and pray right now that you would help us. Oh, we need your help. Help us to be more like Christ so that we are gentle most of the time. And it defines our character. And people see us and think of us as a gentle person. Forgive us for those times where we are not. And for those times that we are not gentle, Father, may they be for the right reasons. For the same reasons as Christ had. He saw people as important from cradle to grave, from beginning to end. And he did not 
see uh, some important because of their job or because of their wealth or because of their skin color or because of their denomination or because of their political views. He saw everyone equally. He loved them all. Father, if we lose our gentleness, may it be because of hypocrisy or fake religion that we see. Help us to draw people to you and not from you as a result of being in our presence. May we be the right example and the right model and we have big shoes to fill to be like Christ. Help us to do that this week. As you're praying right where you are, can I challenge you to do this? Sometime, at some point today, would you, would, can I challenge you to do this? Turn to your spouse and say, if I'm not gentle this week, would you tell me? That's not easy to do. You don't have to do it right now. But at some point today, can I challenge you to turn to your spouse or turn to your parents or to a family member and say, if I'm not gentle this week, would you point that out to me? Will you take that challenge? That's a hard challenge. Because sometimes we lose our gentleness in our voice and we don't even realize it. That we're being unkind or abrasive. God wants to refine you and make you like Him. Will you take that step this week? Maybe this morning God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or you want to be baptized or accept Christ as your Savior and you want to surrender to Him today. Come down and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading, this invitation is for you. No one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. Would you stand right where you are? And everyone stand as you stand and as you pray right now. You come.